The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Providing insight and resources for your spiritual journey. Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with host Victoria Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now, let's get this party started. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Main Street Vegan Show. I'm your host, Victoria Moran. And, you know, I usually do little niceties and, hey, how are you doing? And here's what's going on around here. But I'm not going to do that today because this show is so amazing and our guests are so wonderful that I just don't want to spend any time doing anything other than talking with them and talking with you if you would like to give a call and ask a question of one of our guests. The number is 816-347-5519. Now, after the first break, we're going to be bringing on Howard Lyman. Yes, indeed, the mad cowboy himself, Howard Lyman, former cattle rancher, sued alongside Oprah back in the 90s. Do you know it is because of Howard Lyman that the world has Dr. Phil? I mean, is that interesting? Ah, all the connections. But right now, right at this moment, I am so, so excited to be interesting to you. My new favorite person, just seriously, the more I have read about this woman and we've spoken a couple of times, she is an absolute delight. Alexandra Paul, the star of over 75 movies and television shows. This woman is ubiquitous. The other night, I was tired, and I just wanted to watch something that I wouldn't have to give a lot of thought to. So I went on demand, and I clicked on a random Lifetime movie, and then it said starring Alexandra Paul. Now, I know that's one of those wonderful vegan serendipities, but it's also because this woman is so out there as both an actor and a producer. She's an athlete, too. She was on the cover of the January-February issue of Vegan Health and Fitness magazine, most known for her work as Lieutenant Stephanie Holden on the TV series Baywatch. Alexandra was awarded the 2014 Vegan of the Year by the nonprofit Last Chance for Animals. Welcome, Alexandra. Hi, so nice to be here, Victoria. Thank you. Well, it is just seriously, the more I know about you, the more I am in awe. You've been arrested a whole bunch of times and not for doing anything bad. Tell us about your <laughs> activism. <laughs> it depends, it depends what, what side of the political spectrum you're on. <laughs> I had Al- Oliver North once 
um, uh, people who are younger than 20 won't know who he is. But uh, Oliver North once accused me of being a tree hugger, and I considered it a compliment. So um, <laughs> I have been arrested for civil disobedience, for nonviolent civil disobedience, um, over 16 times. I actually stopped counting. I used to go to the, um, the Nevada test site, which uh, is a place where they test nuclear weapons on a regular basis and um, uh, commit civil disobedience there. And so then I was routinely arrested. And then after the um, during the Iraq war, I was also arrested and spent time in jail uh, well, for protesting. You and Bruce Friedrich, I think some of the best people I know have a record. <laughs> so... <laughs> And it, I'm, I'm really in, in awe of, of your commitment. So tell us a little bit about your background. I know you became vegetarian as a child. How did it all start and what made you who you are today? Well, I was an environmentalist as a child because my mom uh, was a British war baby. And so she was very, she conserved a lot, mostly because of the, she grew up with that kind of ethic, not from an environmental ethic, but for a, you never know what's going to happen. There might not be enough, um, you know, next time. But I looked at it as all her recycling and turning down the heat and things like that as an environmental uh, reason to do it. And so I grew up an environmentalist. But when I was 14, I read Diet for a Small Planet. And that book had a, a, a mostly an environmental bent talking about uh, why eating animals was destructive to the planet, and I became a vegetarian. And then a couple of years later, I read uh, Peter Singer's Lib- uh, Animal Liberation, and I understood the ethical reasons for being a vegetarian. And then mm. four and a half years ago, I finally became a vegan after being an almost vegan for 20 years. I, I had already given up wearing all animals, but I still had some dairy in my diet. So um, for the last 20 years, so I finally got rid of that four and a half years ago, and I must say it was the best thing I ever did besides marrying my husband, and I oh. regret that I didn't do it earlier. Well, really I also, I, I took forever to, to get from a vegetarian uh, to vegan, and I know that you said in, in the article about you in uh, Vegan Health and Fitness that you had had an eating disorder in your young life and you worried about too much restricting. And I held on to the dairy too, but I'm, I'm so amazed that you actually got w- rid of wool before dairy. It's like we all have a process. Yeah, that's funny. Well, I... I because I think food has always been an issue because of my eating disorder, so I was, it was much easier for me to tackle fashion, which I really don't care about. And um, so that's never been my uh, priority anyway. And in the 80s, when you didn't wear leather or wool or silk, you, you basically were wearing plastic shoes and <laughs> sneakers, the whole, kids the whole time. So, uh, But I didn't care about that. But, yeah, food was definitely a barrier. And interestingly... What I thought was going to be a restriction uh, and what I feared would be a restriction cutting out dairy, that last bit of dairy, ended up being so freeing. Like, I don't even look at dairy as a food anymore. So it's not even a deny. I don't even feel denied. Yeah. So you say that being vegan changed you. How did it do that? It's interesting because being vegetarian for so long, you'd think that it wouldn't be that big a leap, but I really felt that after actually making that last change from taking out all dairy, I didn't even eat much dairy, actually, changed the way I looked at the world in terms of animals and people and all creatures being completely equal, each of them, all of them having their own rights to to live without being used for uh, you know another another entity, so I I think that just really helped. I mean, I always sort of believed in equal rights for animals, but actually, when you actually live it, you just believe it more deeply. And my heart became more open because I was practicing nonviolence, you, you know, beyond civil disobedience. You know, I was really practicing it in in almost every area of my life. I'm sure I fall down. Sometimes I wonder where the, the clothes that I, you know, I often wonder where the clothes that I wear come from. Um, but I, so I still have, you know, places to go to be better and uh, less violent in my life. But um, it was a huge step for me. Mm, I, I love that 
the opening of the heart. I remember Dean Ornish told me 20 years ago that he had wanted to call his book, um, the one that is called Dr. Dean Ornish's program for reversing heart disease. He'd wanted to call it opening your heart <laughs> because that's really oh. what it's about literally and figuratively. Yeah, that's a great so, double entendre. <laughs> sometimes I think it's easier to live in a way that shows respect and gives rights to non-human animals than it does to have toleration and respect and caring for some of the humans around us who see things differently. But you have a beautiful marriage with an omnivore. Tell us about that. Yes, my husband is an amazing man, and he's he's so loving and wonderful, and he is not a vegan or even a vegetarian. Although he has gone vegan when I've asked him for my birthday for three weeks here, one year and three weeks another year, and he happily goes vegan. And his favorite restaurant is Veggie Grill, <laughs> but he, um, you know, he he just isn't at the same place as I. And I recognize that. You know, it took me thirty three years to go from vegetarian to vegan, so everybody has their process. And me telling him how to be is not is actually it's the secret of our amazing twenty year union is that we don't tell each other how to be and he lets me be fully vegan and um embraces it for me but um and i let him be who he is oh that that's a lovely message because i know a lot of our listeners are in mixed marriages and making (laughs) them work you know and one way or another i find it interesting that your husband is a triathlon coach and i don't know if you know the work of jl fields uh she's blogs as JL goes vegan. Her husband is also a triathlon coach and has oh. also, you know, been the omnivore in the family, but you know, slowly coming over in one little way here and another there. And just like you're talking about, great peace in, in the home as these two people coexist at their own places. So I think that's important because just like, you know, if you want to practice nonviolence, there has to be acceptance of other people's journeys and um, I I don't buy the food for him but I recognize that he's a different individual than I and just because mm-hmm. we're married it doesn't mean that I dictate what he does just like yeah. um, I don't dictate the, my neighbor how that my neighbor lives or the, the stranger in the street lives uh, and yet you shine your light like crazy, not just about food animals, but you're also very involved in working to eliminate animal testing. Tell us about that. Well, I support an organization called Center for Responsible Science that is uh, working to change the FDA regulations that mandate animal testing. And um, Center, for, is, Center for Responsible Science has really addressing the core problem, which is that the rules mandate that pharmaceutical companies test. So I used to, you know, I, I still boycott products that test on animals, but I recognize that I can boycott up to high heaven, but if, unless the rules change, they're still there. They're basically mandated to test on animals. So I, um, you know, I support organizations like Center for Responsible Science that go to the core and are trying to change the, the rules so that, Pharmaceutical companies don't don't have to test because the truth is, human relevant uh, drug testing is better for everybody, including the pharmaceutical companies. It's cheaper. It will produce much more effective drugs more quickly. And so many people don't know that. You know, so many people say, "Well, if if you don't agree with animal testing, that means that you think animals are more important than people." But when you look at it overall, it's a win-win like so many of these things are. It's like going vegan and getting healthy. Even if that's not why you did it, chances are that's what's going to happen. Well, at the moment, we don't have a lot of tests that uh, don't use animals because we've been using animals for so long. And that's why if we change the rules, expand them so that companies can use non-animal tests also, that will be an incentive for the biotechs to start producing these non-animal tests because they know that the companies will um, be able to use them. But right now, there's no incentive to uh, develop these non-animal. There's less of an incentive to develop non-animal tests or human, more human-relevant tests because the rules mandate that companies use animal tests. So if we can broaden the rules, 
not not eliminate animal testing. I wish we could do it right now. But if we can broaden them so that um, the rules, instead of mandating animal testing, mandate that their scientifically valid tests are used, that is a very important step in changing this paradigm, which uses animals to test products that are meant for humans. Yes. Well, I love the phrase human-relevant tests. I don't think I've heard that before, but that that really suggests the truth of what kind of tests do you want. You want them to be relevant for humans. I'm going to start using that. Thank you. So oh, you're welcome. Well, you know, by the way, for I, I heard one of your uh, one of your interviews, uh, and the gentleman didn't like plant based, and I and I um, I have to say that I agree with him. And I don't like using the term plant-based either. And um, so I, I think that it's important. It's wonderful your your radio show. And some people might disagree with me, but uh, but I had the, I learned something from that because I realized, wow, yeah, I see um, what this gentleman's talking about in terms of plant-based. And so now I don't use that term either. So thank you. <laughs> well, and and I agree with you and and with him simply because. It can be a synonym for vegan, or it can just mean somebody who eats a lot of vegetables, but also eats animals. I mean, I think we need to be clear, and that's a choice a lot of people make. It's not a terrible choice, my goodness, because (laughs) eating a lot of plants means you're going to eat fewer animals. But, you know, let's just say what things are and be clear I think sometimes yeah. health people don't want to be confused with animal people. And, and I think that's true with environmentalists as well. Do you see that? I do, and I'm disappointed. I mean, I, I've been in, in, in the environmental world for a long time, and I, um, I'm very disappointed at the large organizations who will not advise, you know, in their top ten reasons to, you know, save the rainforest or uh, help with water issues or that they clean air. I mean, that they that they don't put that if people went vegan, um, that would make a huge stride. So uh, because they're afraid of their donor base, they don't want to alienate their donor base. The other issue that I focus on a lot is human overpopulation, and it's the same issue, is that if, you know, that issue were addressed and all other environmental issues would be ameliorated, and the same thing goes for our diet. Very true. And, and these are hard positions to take sometime, but you certainly don't seem to be one who is easily talked down. You actually have a very interesting take on companion animals. What's... Uh, What's your opinion about how we relate to those who are in our families? I we have a cat. She's on my lap right now. Her name is Hallie, and um, I give her a lot of freedom. (laughs) I I don't I don't have a dog because I feel like I wouldn't be able to treat a dog the way that dogs should be treated, and um, I'm concerned about people who have dogs um, at home alone all day and walk them for ten minutes and twice a day, and that's that. I just don't think that's, that's our standard. That seems, everyone feels that's okay, and I don't, to me, that's not okay. Uh, animals are more sentient than that, and they need, um, uh, they need stimulation and companionship, and they shouldn't just have to be let out to go to the bathroom, you know, every eight hours. I just, that just, and also then being on a leash, too. You know, they're, the whole thing bothers me. But um, I know that, that it's so ingrained in our society to have the dog locked up in the house and then take them out for 10 minutes on a leash that um, people think that's normal. I know that, and I don't ride horses either because I feel like that's a form of, um, and I used to when I was a child, but a form of, um, it's a life where they, you know, they're in a stall a long time and then you put, uh, you know, your 150 pounds on them and, yank them around with a, this bit in their mouth, it just, it doesn't wash with me. And that's one of the things that changed in me when I became vegan. I started looking at animals as complete individuals and not as just, you know, our animals mm. to do with what we want and to conform to our life. Well, Alexandra Paul, I look at you as an incredible individual truly living an aspirational life and my dog Forbes agrees with absolutely everything that you had to say um wish we could talk <laughs> for a really long time but we do have Howard Lyman on the 
line and need to move on to him. But I just want to say you are splendid. And I just thank Nick Tyler so much for putting us together. And I hope that our paths will cross again. Thank you. And if anybody wants to know more about me, they can check out my website at alexandrapaul.com. Great. And And we'll uh, say that again at the end of the show. Thank you so much, Victoria. It was really a pleasure. Keep up the great work. I've learned a lot from your interviews, and I really enjoy them. And I'll be listening to the Howard Lyman interview because he is an amazing man. Amazing, amazing. I had the opportunity to meet him when he was in L.A. uh, a while back and just has done so much for our movement. So thank you for having him on. This is the show of amazing people. <laughs> I think the rest of the guests are amazing, but you and Howard, I'm just a little bit in awe, kind of standing in, in the uh, sunlight that you guys radiate. Thank you so very much. Everybody else, stay with us for Howard Lyman right after this. Unity Online Radio brings you inspiring programs on a variety of spiritual topics. Giving to the network is now easier than ever. Simply text Unity Radio to 72727 from your smartphone. You can make a one-time or recurring donation. Your gifts help us offer enriching spiritual programs that reach listeners around the world. Text Unity Radio to 72727. Thank you for your support. What if you could experience vibrant health, help heal the planet, and be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookseller. The world is full of voices, advertising, television, politics, colleagues, family, and friends. All are too happy to tell us how to live. In all of that noise, it's easy to miss the one voice that matters, your own soul. What would happen if you could hear that voice? Imagine the clarity, confidence, and courage that would be yours and the life you could create. Join Janet Connor, best-selling author of Writing Down Your Soul, The Lotus and the Lily, and Your Soul Wants Five Things, as she and her guests explore how to hear the call of the soul and create the soul-directed life. Live Thursday at 1 p.m. Central, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Go inside to find. You're listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to follow Victoria underscore Moran on Twitter or email her at MainStreetVegan at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, back to Main Street Vegan. Welcome back, everybody. It is my distinct pleasure to have on the program today someone I have admired for many, many years. When he emailed me to confirm coming on the show, he signed it, Your Friend Howard. And I thought, oh my gosh, does this make me the luckiest person on earth? Howard Lyman, president of Voices for a Viable Future, was a successful Montana cattle rancher for nearly four decades. He sold his farm in 1983, became a professional lobbyist for Montana Farmers Union and National Farmers Union, and promoted the passage of the National Organic Standards Act. But then something happened. We're going to find out what happened and what 
turn this cattle rancher into a vegan. Howard is the co-author with Glenn Merzer of Mad Cowboy, which tells his story. And he's appeared in so many documentaries, including Vegucated and Cowspiracy. Welcome, Howard Lyman. Hey, Howard, how are you doing? Is Howard with us? Why am I not? Are you here, Howard? Okay. We're going to have to do some tech stuff. So, Jeff, uh, tell me something. Write to me and tell me, are you hearing, Howard? Okay. I think we... Well... Okay, Jeff is going to find Howard for us, and I'll tell you a little bit more about him while we wait. Back in the 90s, and I always think because I was alive and doing things as an adult in the 90s that everybody remembers the things that I remember. But you know what? That was a while ago. And so some of you listening may not know that Howard became famous almost overnight in 1996 Because he went on the Oprah Winfrey show, which was a great big deal in the 90s. In fact, it was probably the biggest deal for just about anybody, certainly authors and actors. Everybody wanted to be on that stage. And Howard was there talking about mad cow disease. He said that if mad cow disease really went the way that it might go, it it would be worse than AIDS. And Oprah said, well, I'll never eat another hamburger. Well, there exists something in United States law that you can't defame a perishable product. So a group of Texas cattle ranchers sued Oprah and Howard for defamation. So they had to go to Texas and go through a two-year legal battle when I was kind of joking with Alexandra that because of Howard Lyman, we now have Dr. Phil. Dr. Phil came to Oprah as a helper. Now, can I help you get through this case? I'm a psychologist. I work with people you know, going through legal stuff. He was helpful to her. And now Dr. Phil exists in the world. <laughs> Really, thanks to Howard Lyman. So it's really amazing how we, um, it all goes around and comes around. We're all very connected. Hey there, Howard, you're back. Hi there, how are you? (laughs) I'm terrific, so wonderful to hear your voice. Okay, Howard, I've been telling people just some kind of events from your life, but would you tell us, especially for the people who have not read Mad Cowboy, the people who don't know your story, what happened that changed everything for you? Well, you know, it started out at uh, being raised on the largest dairy farm in the state of Montana during the Second World War, uh, being raised by my grandparents because my folks had to milk cows. I fell in love with the environment, and I always wanted to be a farmer. I I grew up, I went to Montana State University, got a degree in agriculture, uh, wanted to build a an agribusiness, and took all of the things I learned, the herbicides, pesticides, hormones, medication, and I built myself a, uh, a multi-million dollar cattle operation. And I can't tell you what a thrill it was the first time I wrote a check for a million dollars and it didn't bounce. And I thought, man, I have arrived in the Donald Trump of agriculture. Well, just when things were really rosy, I ended up paralyzed from the waist down. The doctor told me I had a tumor on my spinal cord. He said, if that tumor's on the inside of the cord... You have less than one chance in a million. Well, odds of one in a million, they're basically telling you get a wheelchair because you're going to be in it the rest of your life. That night before the operation, a lot of things went through my mind. But I, the important thing is that I wanted to know, am I going to spend the rest of my life just sitting in a wheelchair or could I actually make my life amount to something? Could I do something? And I decided whether I was in a wheelchair or not the rest of my life, I would do everything I could to make the world a better place to live. 
Uh, they operated on me. They took a tumor out of the inside of my spinal cord. I walked out of the hospital with a one-in-a-million operation. But I walked out a very different individual than when I went in before. I looked at the farm that I was on, and I remembered when I was a kid, and we had birds and trees and living soil. And after my operation on this farm using chemicals, the birds had died, the trees had died, the soil had changed. And so I went to my banker and I said, I want to borrow some money. I want to become an organic farmer. And my banker, he laughed at me and he said, you want me to lend you money and you're not going to spend it with my other customers, the chemical dealer, the pharmaceutical dealer, the fertilizer dealer? He said, it'll never be a day like that. And so I sold my farm. I worked with other farmers not to make the mistakes that I made, and I had an opportunity to go to Washington, D.C. and work on Capitol Hill, and I thought, wow, what an opportunity. 535 members of Congress, I just absolutely knew they wanted to do what was right. Well, I went to Washington, D.C. I spent five years on Capitol Hill. I will tell you that we have the best government that money can buy. And I told my friends, I said, you know, this game is rigged. We'll never win Washington, D.C. And they said, well, what are you going to do? Go talk to the people? And I said, yeah, I am. During this time, I was working for a farm organization. My weight was well over 300 pounds. My blood pressure was sky high. My cholesterol was over 300. And I thought, gee, you know, maybe what I ought to do is become a vegetarian, but I'm going to become a closet vegetarian. I'm not going to tell anybody about it. So I became a vegetarian working for a farm organization, Washington, D.C. I lose some weight. My blood pressure goes down slightly. My cholesterol goes down slightly. And I thought, well, wow, if I can do that being a vegetarian, just think what I could do if I became a vegan. I became a vegan. I lost over 125 pounds. My blood pressure went from sky high to normal. My cholesterol from 300 to 135. And so when I told my friends I was going to go and talk to the people, I was going to talk to them not only about how to treat the environment, but how to treat the animals and how to deal with our own problems of what we were eating. And so I went out on the road. I've spent 100,000 miles a year, about 20 years traveling the road, talking to big groups, little groups, um, you know, major radio shows, minor radio shows. Sometimes I could talk to the audience and put them in a phone booth. But I thought the important thing was I'd been given the gift of walking again. And so the least I could do was go and tell people that we're destroying the planet we live on. And if we don't change what we're doing, it may be too late for the next generation. And so that's what I'm doing today. And it's so interesting to me, Howard, to have some of these memories with you, because I've known you more than 20 years. It had to be 1992 or 93 when you came to my little apartment in Kansas City, and we gathered, I don't know, 12 or 15 vegans or almost vegans to... (laughs) listen to you after you had given a a bigger talk. And I remember thinking then, oh, we're really doing this. We're really (laughs) getting the word out. But you look at it now, and I know it's not fast enough and not big enough, but it is still amazing. And a lot of that is thanks to your work. So, okay, you've got the health part, you've got the animal part, but what is really speaking to your heart is this planet. Tell us about that. Well, you know, I I love animals, and I love my own health. But the thing that really touches me is when I look in the eyes of my grandchildren, and I see them with the bright, inquisitive, uh, 
nature and they want to know what's going on and what's the future like and you know but what about birds and soil and worms and all of these things and then I stop and think about it I had the advantage I I ended up growing up at the time that we treated the planet with great respect but in the time that I was operating my farm what's happening today we are beating the earth to death. You know, they were talking about a, a thing that's called global warming. Well, nothing in the world could have been a worse term than <laughs> global warming because really it was climate change. It was human action causing climate change. And we are definitely causing the climate to change. The weather is getting warmer it's getting colder, it's getting wetter, it's getting drier. And, you know, I live in Ellensburg, Washington. We're on the dry side of the mountains. But can you imagine? We have not seen any measurable precipitation in the area that I live in almost six months. You know, California right now is going through a tremendous drought and they're talking to the people about conserving and you know since the governor has been talking to the people of California about conserving water use has gone up when in the world are we going to wake up to the fact that we are changing the climate that we are living in and so when we look at this we say to it well you know it may get a little warmer, it may get a little drier, but it's going to be all right, isn't it? Well, do you realize the last time the amount of carbon that's in our atmosphere happened on planet Earth, ocean levels were 70 feet higher than what they are today. We are seeing the glaciers melting. We're seeing the Arctic uh, ice field shrinking do you realize that in 2013 the last year that they have the data for it the Arctic Ocean which is better known as the air conditioner of the earth because it ice reflects back about 80% of the sunlight which makes a, a planet much more livable for us well in 2013 July 40,000 square miles of that ice melted per day for every day in the month of July. Just stop and think about it. The air conditioner that we have reflecting back the sun is no longer there. We're absorbing that heat into the Arctic Ocean. Uh, the temperature in the Arctic has increased anywhere from 4 to 7 degrees. They say, the climatologists, that if the temperature on planet Earth increases two degrees, it will be a major catastrophe. It's already four to seven degrees in the Arctic, where it's the most important that we have. So we're seeing sea levels coming up. We have island nations today that are already in the South Pacific making arrangements with other countries because they know their entire population is going to have to move. Uh, the state of Florida, the mean elevation of the state of Florida is about seven feet. Today, at high tide, we have the ocean water on the streets of Miami. We have the Okefenokee Swamp, where the salt water is invading again, changing it. We're going to see changes that are going to affect about one out of every three people that inhabit planet Earth, that they're going to have to move from where they live. Places like Florida, New Jersey, New York, or an entire country like Bangladesh, millions of people are going to have to leave because their country is going to be underwater. 
So, Victoria, I think that it's really important to understand that here I am. I'm a vegan. I'm really proud of being a vegan. I'm proud of the idea that no animal has to die for me to live. I'm proud of the fact that that my diet, the one I consume, is the one that makes my body as healthy as it is. But when I look at being a vegan, probably the most important thing about being a vegan is I don't consume any animal product. Animals today on planet Earth, livestock, are emitting the most amount of greenhouse gases of any factor in the universe, more than all the trucks, buses, airplanes, more than all of the, the uh, coal-fired power plants, more than all of the environmentally fouling things, the majority of them are coming from livestock. Now, the World Bank or the, the uh, United Nations, they say that 18% of all of the global greenhouse gases are coming from livestock. Well, they're so bad because the majority of it is methane. Methane is between 34 or 100 times more detrimental than carbon. And we're ending up with the majority of it coming from livestock. We don't have to pass any laws. We don't have to have trade agreements. All we really have to do is 79% of Americans claim they're environmentalists. If you're an environmentalist, how in the world can you continue to eat an animal product when you know it's causing the greatest amount of greenhouse gases of any of the pollutants on the planet? You can well, change that at your next meal. Well, that is the $64,000 question, and you and I are old enough to know what that means. I think it's that environmentalism isn't personal. If you see a, a video of a of an animal being abused just today, Mercy for Animals released this just tragic footage of these pigs being beaten. These are pigs destined to be sold as pork for Walmart. That's very emotional. I relate to that, and I think a lot of people do. If the doctor says your cholesterol is 300, you're looking at a bypass, very personal, very easy to connect the diet to that. But there's a disconnect for, for people about connecting what we eat to the plight of the planet. How do we bridge that gap and really make it real for people? Well, I think the best way to do is to educate yourself. You know, I don't think any of your listeners today should uh, change their lifestyle because of what Victoria says or, or what Howard Lyman says. I think what you ought to do is go and, and invest yourself and your time in, in some education. There's, there's an amazing documentary that's going around right now that's called Cowspiracy. And they're talking about here we have these environmental groups that every one of us out there has supported for a lot of years, and they're not saying anything about the livestock issue and the global greenhouse gases. And when they start looking into it, they find that these environmental groups are more interested in their funding base than they are of actually addressing the issue. So what I'm saying is, for the listeners that are out there today, look at it and say, I wonder I wonder if that Lyman guy is correct or not. Did the, did the United Nations really say that 18% of all global greenhouse gases come from livestock? Did the World Bank advisors say, no, no, it's not 18%, it's 51%. Or we should look at climatologists and we'll find that 98% of them, 98% of them believe that humans are modifying the weather on planet Earth. They took an independent source and they went out and they founded 11,000, 11,000 peer-reviewed uh, 
issues on the environment and weather. This was an independent group, and they went and they looked at it, and they found that all but two of the 11,000 of them agreed that humans were modifying the weather, that agreed that, that livestock were one of the major, major contributors of the methane that goes into the air. And you know, Victoria, this is the interesting thing. Livestock emit methane. Like I say, is 34 to 100 times more detrimental than carbon. And as it raises the temperature, as it melts the ice in the Arctic, it exposes permafrost. As permafrost melts, guess what comes from it? More methane. Wow. This is a, a monumental problem. And if we don't get on top of this issue as Homo sapiens, I believe that we probably are seeing the last generation that will ever know life as you and I have known it because it is going to change astronomically. So why is it, Howard, that some people that I know who are so dedicated to being environmental, I'm thinking now of that documentary, uh, No Impact Man, where this guy made sacrifices beyond anything that I could imagine in his attempt to live environmentally, but he still ate meat and animal products. What are we not doing to reach people? Well, you have to remember that a number of animal products are actually addictive. Now, I smoked at one time, and I I can tell you that nicotine is addictive. And when I quit smoking, I'll tell you, I went through a withdrawal that I couldn't hardly describe to you. And you know what else? When I gave up cheese, (laughs) I went through the same type of a withdrawal. Uh. Animal products are addictive. And if you know anybody that drinks a lot of soda or drinks a lot of coffee, and they decide that cold turkey, they're going to quit. What happens to them? They go through withdrawal. They end up with headaches. We end up addicted to the food that we're eating. And from the time that we're small, we know one thing to be absolutely true. Our mother loves us. Our mother ends up putting the food on the table. She would not put food on the table that was not good for us, would she? No. She put animal products on the table. We ate them since we were very small. We're absolutely convinced our mother loved us. We're convinced that she gave us food that was good for us. And then somebody says, you should not eat an animal product. What they're trying to say is your mother didn't love you. Well, that's not the truth. Your mother loved you. She did not know at the time that livestock were contributing all of the methane to the atmosphere, changing the the uh, global greenhouse gases. So, you know, let's grow up. Let's understand that if we really are an environmentalist, If 79% of Americans truly are environmentalists, we can change this issue, Victoria, overnight. Because all you have to do is decide what you're going to put on your table and what you're going to eat. And I'll tell you, it will change the entire face of the world almost overnight. Pretty powerful. So what do we do? Just give us a sort of three-part plan for those of us who know you're right and who are doing this in our own lives. What can we do to reach maybe some of the people who are still saying, oh, gosh, global warming, that's just, you know, a thing. It doesn't really exist. There are people like that. And then these environmentalists you're talking about, 
How do we reach the people who are not yet vegans? Well, I think the most important thing is to realize that we don't change anybody by shouting at them, and we don't change anybody by pointing our finger at them. What we need to do is to find our environmental friends and invite them to our house. Sit down. I've been at your house. I've sat at your table. I've eaten your cooking. And I'll tell you what, I would, I would emulate the kind of food that you serve in a heartbeat. And why not do that with our friends? Why not do that with the people that we're involved with, with the environment? Why should we not look at it and say, you know, here, my hometown, Ellensburg, Washington, last winter, I never had to shovel snow on my sidewalk <laughs> that was over an inch deep. It's happening. It's happening around us. Major companies right now that are they're selling chemicals are telling their salespersons, you have to adjust what you're selling because the environment is moving, the temperature is moving north about 150 miles a year. When my hometown, we're talking about when's the time to plant your garden, the master gardeners come out and say, you know, we are between three and six weeks different in the temperature this year than we were in the last history. So, you know, the best thing to do is take what's happening right in your own community that's happening at your own table and share it with the people that care about the environment. In my town, we started our own group, and it's called Our Environment. All we do is two Saturdays a month, we get together, everybody's invited, we bring in good, noted speakers, uh, we end up with group discussions on the weather, the temperature, uh, the diet, and you know, it's an amazing thing how many people that I've dealt with in environmental issues for years and years and years had closed their eyes to what they were eating, but now we're slowly opening them up, and I hope, I hope we can do it quickly enough that my children and grandchildren will have an opportunity to live on a planet, enjoy it the way that I was able to. Well, certainly, if you have anything to do with it, uh, it is going to succeed in short order. You know, the strangest thing happened, Howard, and I think this is very telling about the whole environmental debacle. It's so huge that it's hard to believe, even for those of us who intellectually believe it. So you were talking about bringing people over and giving them wonderful food, and then you said, I didn't have to shovel my walk this winter and I kind of chuckled a little bit if people heard that because I thought you were saying you've had people over and the food has been so good and they're so grateful that they come and shovel your walk. You know, it took me a beat to catch up. You're saying there was no snow in the northwest where there is supposed to be snow. So a uh, big deal. Fairly easy answer if we could do it fast enough, right? That's true. Hmm? You know, it's. It's life is is such a precious thing, not only for us but for the animals and in the environment. Why should we not look around? You know, here I am. I'm talking to you on the telephone. Uh, the cat that allows my wife and I to live with him is <laughs> taking a nap behind the computer right now. We have. Two doves that are out in the pergola that are building a nest. Frank and Ethel, they're, they're building a new home and they're, they're laying eggs and there's new life that's coming. Should we not look at all of these things and say they're all interconnected? Uh, they, they all have a web of life. I would like for your listeners just to remember one thing 
if nothing else, from this talk today. Remember, nature does not negotiate. When nature has enough of what humans are doing to it, she is going to shrug us off. The earth will survive. The question is, will the Homo sapiens species survive? I hope so. But we can't if we continue to do what we're doing. But let me say this, Victoria. I can remember when I started on the road 25 years ago, started talking to people, and I would say I was a vegan, and they would look at me like I had some sort of a communicable disease. Look at how much things have changed in 25 years. You go into any truck stop in America, and they will know what a vegan is. You know, you go into any restaurant and talk to a person on the waitstaff, they know what a vegan is. Things have changed astronomically. The train has left the station. The question is, are we going to deal with this issue significantly enough and soon enough that nature does not look at it and say, I got rid of the dinosaurs, maybe it's time to get rid of the humans. No, because we have Howard Lyman in the world, and you are getting us all built up with enough knowledge, information, and inspiration to go out and change everything. Thank you so much, Howard. Everybody, read Mad Cowboy, see Cowspiracy. Check out our lovely first guest site, alexandrapaul.com. Invite people over for some fabulous vegan food. Speak up. Do your part. This is important. God bless you. Eat your veggies. Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains, educates, and inspires you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. You've seen reality TV. Well, now get ready for reality radio. It's raw, unpredictable, and completely unscripted. Healing Your Life with Dr. Chris Michaels follows the lives of four people each season as they face their fears and overcome challenges. Listen in weekly and follow along as they take each faithful step on their journey. Learn what it takes to really heal your life. Dr. Chris Michaels shows you how to expect specific and measurable results from prayer. He says we must place a demand upon consciousness. We don't hope to get what we pray for. We expect it. As a 25-year veteran in the New Thought Movement, Dr. Chris has helped thousands of people find their way to success and healing. His faith is unshakable, and his commitment to helping others heal through the power of prayer is extraordinary. Don't miss Reality Radio, Healing Your Life with Dr. Chris Michaels. Live Mondays at 11 a.m. Central Time on Unity Online Radio. Inspiration only takes a moment. Your friends at Unity invite you to reflect on these words from Reverend Jim Rosemurgy. Pause and take a deep breath. When you are ready, affirm silently to yourself. Sweet, sweet spirit, I desire a closer walk with you. Show me the way. I am listening. Take time now in the silence to get in touch with the spiritual guidance within you. Have faith that your next step, your unfolding, your spiritual growth, is coming to you in divine order through your spiritual instinct or your spiritual knowingness. This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity.
Do you want to deepen your connection to the divine, speed up your progress on the spiritual path, then tune in to the Spirit Matters podcast. I'm the host, Philip Goldberg, and I interview experts with wisdom, insight, and practical guidance for every seeker of truth. Spirit Matters on the mindbodyspirit.fm network. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.